This week we are continuing in our series, The Move of God. But before we get into the series or before we get into the next section or the next message in our series, I feel like I, I need to get something off my chest when it comes to moving. Because I don't know about you, but for me, there is a, there is, there is a phone call that I get that I don't want. And it's, I would say, yes, a telemarketer call is a call I don't want to get. But another call that I don't look forward to getting is when someone calls me to ask if I'll help them move. <laughs> now, now hear me. I will help you move. Don't misunderstand me. I'll even do it with a smile on my face. I won't be smiling on the inside, but I will help you move. <laughs> and you may be thinking, Sean, that's kind of harsh. Is this the most important thing you're going to say today? Like, should this be what I make a note of? Never ask Sean to move. I don't want to see a fake smile. <clears throat> and to that, I would say, no, don't misunderstand me again. I'll be happy to help you move. My issue isn't so much with the moving, although I don't like heavy lifting. I look like I like it because I may be built for it, but I don't like heavy lifting the way I used to. My issue is with people's move readiness. How prepared people are when you show up to actually get the move done. Can you relate? Yeah. Yes? You can even categorize movers. I find this funny, and I almost feel like I'm doing a stand-up comic skit here because it's like, this could get real funny. But the reality is you can categorize them. I mean, you show up and you have those move preppers. They're like doomsday preppers because they're always ready. They're unicorns. They're that rare. You don't have to worry about anything. And then you have those, those movers when you show up. They're almost prepared, but the truck's not there. The boxes are loaded, but they're not labeled yet. So you're standing there and you're waiting. It's a waiting game. And then you have that final category of movers, the one that you dread, but you know they're real. You show up and you have your gloves on and you're ready to lift. You've got your coffee and everything. And then they ask you, oh, gee, can you take your gloves off? We actually need some more help packing. And you survey the landscape and you see these jumbo garbage bags that still take two people to lift. They're being filled, and then you're asked, you're moving drawers out to the truck that are full. And you can learn a lot by someone's sock drawer. I'm telling you, you carry one of those things? Yeah, I know how this person lives. I know everything I need to know. So my issue isn't with moving so much as it is our move readiness. In the reality, church, is today's message, that's not what I want to talk about. I just want to get it off my chest. <laughs> I'm not here to preach a message on move preparation. We're continuing in our series that is looking at the movement of God, the move of God. And specifically what we're looking at is how we can as believers and how we can as a church position ourselves to best see and experience God move in our midst. Unlike some of the frustrations that we experience when we're helping people move, when it comes to God moving, it's not frustrating. It can be scary, but when God moves, there's a plan and there's a purpose. And when we look at scriptures like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, it says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And I can't think of a more needed time for peace than when you're going through transition and the kind of transition you experience when we're moving. So that being said, when God moves, there is peace, or there can be peace. 
Last week, Braden kicked off our series. It was the second message, but as far as the pillars in the tools to seeing God move in our midst, Braden dove deep into the first pillar, which is drawing near to God. How when we draw near to God, Braden spoke from Scripture, how when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And then Braden expanded on Scripture and gave us several tools that we as believers in us as a body can use to draw near to God. Because when we are close to God, guess what? He's close to us. And guess what else? The enemy flees. Because where God is, the enemy can't be. And when we're preaching Jesus, Satan's gone. So now this week, we're getting into the second pillar. And for me, I feel this is one of the most vital pillars that we can talk about when seeking to position ourselves to see God move. We're specifically looking at the pillar of faith. And why I feel this pillar is so important for us, church, is because without faith, we can't do anything. Without faith, we can't stand, and if we can't stand, we can't see God move. We can't see God move in our midst, but with faith, we stand firm, and we have the ability to move as God moves. And this is something that I'm going to talk about and expand on as we get into this message. So the scripture for today's message that's serving as our context verse is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, and we're going to be able to follow along. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So thinking on faith and and what it was that God would want to say through me, like we sang in that song just just before I came up here, God, how do you want to be glorified in my life today? How do you want to be glorified in this body today as we get into this second pillar on faith? I came across this scripture, and it jumped right off the page, and for a few reasons. The first being, and the more obvious reason maybe, is that it is the very definition of faith. When we look at faith, by definition, this is what it is. It's not a George Michael song. As much as I like 80s music, and it's not a Bon Jovi song, and I don't like 90s music that much, it is the definition of faith. This is what faith is, and maybe you're a believer, or maybe you're a seeker, or maybe you're online listening today, and a deep dive into faith may be a little bit confusing because you're not maybe really solid or have a firm foundation on what faith is and why it's so vital to a believer and why it's so vital to a church. So in getting into the nitty-gritty, getting into the details of why it's vital and how God uses it, we want to start by solidifying our understanding of what faith is. So this is going to be where we're starting from. So we're going to look at our context verse one more time. Our context verse is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, and it says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In reading this scripture again, guys, it's the definition of faith, but it's not the first time and the only time we hear it when we're reading in New Testament scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, 
Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Again, defining faith for us again. The Bible, uh, in reading that scripture verse, there's two things that stand out. Confidence and assurance. So for us as believers, what is our confidence? What do we have to be confident in? And what do we have to be assured of? 1 John 5 verse 11 says, and we'll be able to follow along, it says, and this is the testimony, this is the testimony, church, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So church, in Christ, we have eternal life. We spend eternal life with God in his kingdom. And like the definition, I can't see eternal life right now. If someone was to say, Sean, can you take me by the hand and show me eternal life? I wouldn't be able to do it right now because I'm in the temporal. And from the temporal, I can't show the eternal, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. It's there. Just like the inside of my body, I can't see in it, but I know it's there. And I know there are tools that exist in the medical community to look inside. God gives us tools to look inside the eternal. Just like all those places in the world that, I've loved to, that I'd love to go to, and I've been to a lot of places, but there's a lot of places that I've never been to that I want to go to, but because I've never been there doesn't mean that they're not there or they don't exist. Just like God's kingdom, I know it's there, and I have full confidence that it's there. Creation excel, itself, Scripture says, is one of the greatest examples of God's creative, creative ability and his power to create and it didn't stop here in the temporal. It's continued even more so as we anticipate in the internal, in the eternal. It's here so that we can know and we can believe. So knowing what faith is, the next question we ask as a body is, why is it so important? Why is faith vital? Why does this pillar need to be established? And why does it need to be load-bearing? If you're familiar with building in homes, there are load-bearing beams and there are load-bearing poles to ensure that the weight is distributed through the house and it's stable and balanced and level. Well, this is a pillar that's like a load-bearing pillar. So where do we get it? And I have great news, church. It can't be found. <laughs> Sounds like a, a paradox or something. Or the uh, we're playing, Sean, you're playing opposites, aren't you? It can't be found, and there's good news. It can't be found, it can't be manufactured, it can't be produced, and it can't be bought. Well, if that's the case, why are you talking about it? The good news, church, is that it is found in Christ. Faith is given. It's not found. And I'm very, very thankful for the fact that it's given. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a gift, as we read in Second or Ephesians 2, verses 8 through nine. It says, and you can follow along, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Boasting is bragging. Faith is a gift that is received, and we receive faith, as it says in Romans chapter 10, verses seven, by hearing and what are we hearing? We're hearing the word of God. It almost seems too simple. It almost seems too easy. And that's the beauty of God. He makes 
the most important, the most complex, easy for us. And I'm so thankful because if it was up to us, if we could produce it, if we could manufacture it, if we could buy it, you know what the problem would be? Just like we read in that verse, those verses from Ephesians, we would boast. We would brag. Pride would kick in. Pride would be there to meet us at the door. Because if we could manufacture it, you know what? I'm going to try and manufacture more than that guy. Or you know what? I can buy more faith than that person. And that's where the danger sets in. So God takes that away. And thankfully and rightfully so, and he gives it as a free gift. So with faith solidified in our mind, church, the next question we, we look at in helping us understand how God uses faith to position us to see him move and to help us understand why it's so vital. The next thing is to, is to come to this realization of, of why it's so vital. We know what it is. We know where it's found. Why is it so vital? Why is it so pivotal? Why is it that that's uh, load-bearing being Sean. And the reality is, is that we need faith to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. We need faith if we're to understand and believe and know and have confidence and assurance that Jesus is first God. Second, he is God who came into creation, his creation, to be an example for how we're to live and to be a living sacrifice and then to demonstrate his power over what we fear most which is death, in his resurrection. It takes faith to believe this church and to know that there's an eternal home. Without faith, we have no starting point. If faith doesn't exist, this is why it's so vital, we don't have a starting point to believe or to move or to even see God move. It's like the seed that Jesus talked about in the parable. It falls on the ground and it immediately is stolen. It's taken away so you don't have anything rooted to see you grow or to see you move or experience God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hear that. It's not might be possible. It's impossible to please God because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that's kind of in line with what Braden talked about last week. Those who seek him are drawing near to him. And there's rewards for that. One of them being we see God move. When I read that scripture, I can't, I can't, now I don't want to say I can't imagine a greater hammer in scripture because there are many, but what a hammer we read and discover when we read this scripture verse. Without faith, we can't please God, period. And without faith, we can't even come into his, his presence. We can't approach him. We must believe that he is God and, who he is, and, and believe who he is who he says he is. And for that, we need faith. And that's why it's so vital. As I said before, it's the starting point. It's, it's where we begin our race. Scripture refers to life as a race. And faith is the starting point. It gets us to the starting line. Hebrews 12, 1 Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, if you've ever been to a race, there are people watching. There's a lot of spectators. They're witnessing the race and the running that's taken place. So let us throw off everything that hinders 
in the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Just got to read that one more time because it's so powerful. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, been there first, and perfecter of our faith. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, fixing our eyes on Jesus accomplishes a few things. We're connecting and drawing near to the pioneer of our faith. And even more than that, faith is perfected in the body of a believer. And in the, in, 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 in the body of a believer and in the body at large, people talk about perfection. And it's very, I don't, I don't know if we ever achieve it. I mean, as a baseball player, my son loves baseball. If he bats 300, that's three out of 10. He's a Hall of Famer. Perfection it's, it's, it's hard to achieve, but in Christ, faith is perfected, not just in our lives, but in, as, in, in, in the body. So now we're going to take the remainder of our time to get into what faith looks like. When God uses faith to position us as individuals and as a body, what does it look like when God moves? We're going to look at our context scripture one more time, because I think we're going to get a little bit, we're going to get the answer from the context verse, this is why we use it. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, so we fix our eyes on what is seen, but not, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the key to seeing God move is found in the end of that verse. It's this focus on not what is seen, but what is unseen. It's the focus on not what is temporal. It's the focus on what is eternal. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when you go to an optometrist, you're going there to ensure your vision is right. And if your vision is off, the purpose of that doctor is to get your vision realigned so that you can see. Maybe your vision, maybe the issue with your vision is you're nearsighted. You can't see far off. Maybe you can see far off. You can't see up close. In Christ, we fix our eyes on Jesus so that he aligns our vision so that we are seeing correctly, which reorientates our perspective. Because when you're seeing, when you have a, a vision problem, it changes how you view the world. And if you have a visually spiritual problem, it changes how you view God. And even more than that, how he, view, how he moves. So fixing our eyes on Jesus changes our perspective and in a good way, a righteous way. It's a complete 180. And when it is aligned right, faith lived out impacts the world in such a way that non-believers and even skeptics can't turn away. They respond. They, it's impossible to ignore when God moves in the life of an individual, and in particular an individual who was against God but now is for God. 
And even more so in the body of a believer who maybe was going in a direction that God wasn't willing them to go, but then they realign, they focus on Jesus, and they're going in the right direction, and boom, things start happening, and people can't ignore it. What does this look like? What are are people responding to? We get a great example of this found in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. We read, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, two apostles of Christ, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they marveled and took note that these men had been with Jesus. In this we see faith in action, church, and for several reasons. Here we have John and Peter described as ordinary men. They were nobodies, and they were recognized as nobodies. And here they are standing before the religious elite. They're standing before the very people who sentenced Jesus to be crucified to kill the faith. And here are these men standing before them. And what do we see? How do we see faith in action? We see these men bold. We see them fearless. And we see them doing things that in their own strength they never would have been able to do. And it's perplexing the religious, those who are supposedly closest to God. Remember, church, it was only a few days before that Peter was denying Jesus. He was denying Christ to save his life and to save his own skin. And then Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. And then faith is alive. And here we see Peter and John fearless. And they're bold. And again, they're doing something they never thought that they would do. So now you may be saying, Sean, that's great. But when are you going to talk about the miracles? Why aren't you talking about all the great miracles and signs and wonders did? Because isn't that what Jesus used to grow faith in a believer and to show that he is who he says he is? Isn't, isn't, isn't your job to be up here to tell me that, Sean, in faith you will have a full bank account. In faith you will be healthy and you won't go hungry. In faith, you will have job security, and all your relationships are going to be great. Church, that's not what I'm up here to do, and that's not what I want to preach, because in preaching that, I'd be preaching something called a prosperity gospel. And the true church, and according to Scripture, knows that that is no gospel at all. The prosperity gospel is not a gospel of truth, and those who preach it, and how it's penetrated the church in particular in Western society, North America and in Europe, it's created a false sense of security and it's created a false understanding of who Jesus is and why he does what he does and more than that, when he does it. And for us, knowing that some, if not all of what is preached in that gospel is even heretical, we, we can't look to that for an example of how Christ moves or what God does when he does move. Jesus took issue with this himself, church. I'm only saying what Jesus, I'm only relaying an issue that Jesus wanted us to understand because he had a problem with it in his own time. In John chapter 4, verse 48, we don't have it here, but I'm going to read it. For those who wanted to see signs and wonders, show us another trick. And then we'll believe. This is what Jesus said. He said, unless you see, unless you people Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. 
Jesus said this scripture when he was approached by he was approached by a man who his son was dying. He was an official. So he had, a, he had status. And his son was dying, and he wanted Jesus because he, he had heard about what he was doing. Now it's my turn. Save my son. And Jesus says, guys, you don't get it. If you don't see anything but signs and wonders, you won't believe. You're, you're sitting here, and you're asking me to do all these things to establish faith. And that's not how faith, like I said, you can't grow it, you can't manufacture it, you can't produce it. It's given as a gift by God. I mean, Jesus before Pilate, before he was sentenced, Pilate didn't want to crucify him initially. He sent him off to Herod. He's like, I don't find anything wrong with this man. I'm going to send him over to Herod, and Herod can do what he wants with him, the ruler of the region. When he got to Herod, Herod was like, yes, I've heard about this man, and I've seen, or I've heard about everything he's been doing. I can't wait to meet him. I'm going to bring everybody I know here, and we're going to watch a magic show. I'm going to get Jesus to perform all kinds of tricks as if he's some kind of performer. And that's not what his purpose was. He's a savior. He's not a performer. And then we have Thomas, probably one of the greatest examples. We call him Doubting Thomas, who said, after hearing that Jesus was alive, said, I will only believe if I see his hands and if I can stick my hand in his side. And what he means by that is Jesus was pierced in his side when he was hanging on the cross in an effort to confirm that he was dead. So they pierced right up in his liver. And he said, if I can stick my hand there, I'll believe. Now, I could never do that because I can't handle the sight of blood. And I can't handle injuries. I could watch a lion eat a zebra all day. My wife marvels at how I can watch these National Geographic Discovery Channel animal shows and be normal in the head. (laughs) But I can't watch the surgery channel. I can't do it. I can't do it if I want to keep if I want to keep my lunch and if I want to stay awake. That's my problem. But Jesus responded to Thomas with this. In John chapter 20, verse 29, he said, Then Jesus told them, told him specifically, Because you have seen, excuse me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. Remember, church, I told you that there were multiple examples of how faith is defined according to Scripture? The examples that I gave initially from 1 Corinthians 4 and from Hebrews 11 came after Jesus. Here, Jesus is giving the very definition of what faith is. It's coming from the mouth of God. And then it's proclaimed later on. Why? Because we got it from the source. This is what faith is. Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Church, we are blessed having faith in the state we are in today. And I got good news, church, is it only takes a little bit. It only takes a little bit of faith to see great things. Jesus said in Luke chapter six or chapter 17, verse 6, that you only need a mustard seed. So if you're a cook, it's just a pinch. It's just a pinch. A pinch of faith is all it takes to see God do the unbelievable 
to see Christ do the unexpected and to see God move in our midst in a way that leaves our faith unshaken. So in saying that, I don't want to leave us there. Because, church, there are examples of faith doing great things. I know I said I didn't want to just talk about miracles and this and that because I didn't want that to be the foundation of why you believe. The foundation of faith is found only in Christ. But there are great examples of how God used faith to position his people to do and see great things. And one of the greatest examples we have is in a long section of Scripture found in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 3 through 40. It's a long section of Scripture, but it will, it'll, it'll give value to us in going through every bit of it because, again, we will see faith. We will see faith according to God and according to his word, not according to our will and our way. So we'll go through it together. Hebrews chapter 11, or Hebrews chapter 11 verses 3 through 40, it says this. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of what was invisible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was, comm he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And remember how we please God? We please God with faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family at a time when there was never any rain seen before. By faith, he, commended the, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. By faith, Abraham, when, he called, when called to God, took a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I love that. My wife tells me I don't know where I'm going all the time. I try to tell her I do. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, that eternal place. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country not their own. If they had been thinking of their own country they, they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for they have prepared, for he has prepared a city for them. 
By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. His son hadn't had any children yet, and he's going to offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he and when, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Faith eliminated fear. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He preserved, excuse me, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer, who is Satan, of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, and I appreciate your patience, church, because we are going through this. It's so important. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell and the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And I love how it finishes. We're coming to the end of this long section of scripture, and I love how the writer finishes it. And what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured. And this is where it gets to. We're not preaching a prosperity gospel. Faith establishes us and preserves us for the eternal. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even greater resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Wow. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. They would not, they, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So remember what we learned about faith and the author and perfecter of our faith. Christ is using faith 
to perfect us. He's using faith to position us because he has something better planned for us, and it's called the eternal. It's not the temporal. With, <clears throat> in, in, in thinking of that, the question that comes to my mind as I wrap the message up is, is what is faith going to do for you? How can God use faith to position you in a way to see him move? Maybe in your workplace or, or maybe in some of the things that you're a part of. And for us as a body, how can God use faith to position us to move in the community and beyond? As a believer, I can tell you I'm very excited to see what he's going to do. Because here we prioritize faith according to Jesus and according to his word. So as I close this message out, guys, and as the band comes forward to lead us in worship, we looked at a lot of what was taking place in the past to give us confidence and assurance and encouragement about faith and how God uses it. But the reality is, is we have some great examples of how God uses faith today that we can look to for encouragement and for confidence. As I was thinking about in preparing for this, this message I was going to deliver today, I came across this great feed in scrolling through my Facebook. It sounds wrong to even say that. I found something great when I was on Facebook. <laughs> but I do scroll through my feed on Facebook because I, I use it to post um, encouragement. And as I was scrolling through it, I found this great quote from one of the lead singers of one of my favorite Christian bands. The band is called For King and Country, and the singer's name is Christian Smallbone. And this is what he had to say about faith. He said, faith seems less required when life is certain, but it is a must when our circumstances, relationships, and health are unsure. So in the uncertainty of today, I'm practicing faith in Jesus. And why did he need to practice that faith? Because this man here makes his living off of his voice a gift given to him by God to bring encouragement through worship. And he was losing his voice. He's had problems with his vocal cords for, I think, several years now, and he needed prayer. Because for all he knew, his future was uncertain. And I don't know about you, but my future sure feels uncertain. The world we're living in today is definitely an uncertain world. We don't know what's going to happen around the corner or what decisions are going to be made that are going to impact the way we live today. Every week seems to be something different. In this, living in this world, he's experiencing a double whammy in what's going on with his health. And what is he doing? He is practicing faith in Jesus because he knows it's only faith that's going to see him stand and move forward in confidence and assurance. Another great example, church, and you know what? Matter of fact, we will, we'll do this. We'll do this. Let's just take a second and look around you. Let's just take a second, not a minute, maybe two or three seconds. Look around you. What, has, what you are seeing, church, the air you're breathing, the chairs you're sitting in, the walls you're looking at, the, the ground your feet is, is standing on or positioned on is a response of faith. It's God moving in our midst. It's a response to us practicing faith in Jesus, keeping our eyes fixated on Jesus. He has responded in answering our prayers 
And here we are today. We have been praying for a place to operate out of and to minister out of and to broaden out of, to reach a community at large for a few years now. And we never wavered from that. And God responded, and here we are today. And in the Holy Spirit, I believe God is going to do even more. We have great examples, and I'm sure many of you could come up and share examples of how faith has sustained you, and it's enabled you to see God move, and it's positioned you to see God move. If you didn't live in faith, you would never have seen this. You would never experience that. You would never know this person, or you never would have gone to that place. It's because of faith that God has done it. And it's because of faith that God's going to do even more for us here at the harbor and for you as individuals. So maybe, maybe you need a little bit more faith. Where do we get it, guys? Let's answer. Where does faith come from? Jesus. It comes from God. And he gives it in abundance. It's the one time I would say God is not a conservative. <laughs> he gives faith liberally because of what it can produce in the life of a believer. Maybe you need a little bit of faith. Maybe you need a little bit more. Maybe you need faith for the first time. You can receive that here in receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need God to move. Maybe you need, God, maybe you need to see God move. Maybe you need to see God move a mountain, or maybe you are the mountain that you want God to move. In faith, God can do all those things. I believe that church, we believe it, we know it's true. We believe it as a body, we believe it as individuals, and we believe it for you. So in that church, I would just want to finish by saying we're going to worship God in faith. We're going to take communion, remembering Christ in faith, and we're going to go out from this place today in faith because I know that when we do and when we practice faith in Jesus and fix our eyes on him, we can see the unbelievable happen and we can have security during uncertain times because God has taken care of that which is most important, which is the eternal.